Thank you, Mason, and thank you for uh, leadership. We're going to continue uh, to work together, praying together, um, about God's uh, plan for us as a congregation and moving forward. So thank you, leadership, for uh, uniting together and uh, working together. The word that really was impressed on our hearts is that we are to wait on the Lord. So let's wait, and let's listen to him, and let's turn our ears attentively to what God is saying to us as a church. If we would all do that and come together in that, whether we're physically together, we know that we will be spiritually together and shine brightly for him. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, uh, pull out your phone or whatever you want to do to follow along. We're going to continue our message series through the Gospel of John. And this week we're in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'll read the story to you now. Then they were, all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees thought or brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Everyone has an other. And here's what I mean by an other. If you are a fan of Seinfeld, you know that Jerry Seinfeld's other is Newman. Newman. And that was always that running gag and bit. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, for better or worse, uh, and our other are the White Sox. And I think I can say definitively that it's not necessarily the White Sox as much as it is Hawk Harrelson and his just terrible, awful announcing. So uh, he's the Tigers' other. Lots of you are Colts fans, and your other is the Patriots. Um, really, all of the NFL would say that the Patriots are their other. I was thinking about all of the things that we have an other for. The Cubs, Cubs fans, your other is the Cardinals. Uh, we think about Democrats and Republicans. That's pretty clearly who, their, uh, other, who the other is. Now, the issue is, is that something happened, and there were a lot of things happening culturally. But here's a concern of something that I have observed and, and thought about, and that is that the quarantine and the sort of stay-at-home order 
has created a situation where now we start to look at pretty much everyone as an other. We think about people as possible threats to us, as possible, uh, possible to bring harm to us or hurt us. And so what the stay-at-home sort of uh, brought about incidentally, and I don't think on purpose, but it brought about this sense of danger about other people. And we think about this uh, maybe in other ways, uh, but I quickly became an other in our community. I needed to come over to the building for something, and I came out onto the porch, and I was going to head down, and there was a couple with their dogs walking on the sidewalk. And I was like, okay, I need to keep my distance, and so I just sort of stayed awkwardly on the porch while they walked by. Well, they got pretty far down the, the path, and I went down the stairs, and I started walking, walking towards the building, and also towards them. Well, the dogs that they were walking saw that I was coming down the stairs and they turned and they started barking at me. To keep my distance, I took a step back. Well, the people thought that I was afraid of their dog and they were like, oh, they're friendly dogs, you can come and pet them. And I said, no, I'm not going to pet your dogs. And they're like, go ahead. And, and I was just like, oh my goodness. And I said, I'm COVID positive, I need to keep my distance. And suddenly, those people didn't want anything to do with me, and I don't blame them. So they, they just ran off. But I became an other very quickly. Maybe you're wondering what this has to do with John chapter 8, but I want you to see that the angry mob brought an other before Jesus. It was a trap, and they brought a woman caught in adultery, and they come angrily with stones in their hands, and they are ready to stone her, and they are challenging Jesus, and they are saying, the law of Moses says that this is what we're supposed to do. So what do you say? And so they bring the stone-throwing mob. This kind of sounds like a Facebook thread. They bring this other before Jesus. And they want to know, are you going to condemn her? And maybe a little more contextualized into our world, are you going to hate her with the appropriate amount of hate? Are you going to hate her the way that we hate her? And we, as, we think about, uh, as we think about our society and we think about all the things that sort of go awry, the question has become over and over again, repeated time after time, are we going to hate the other the way that you're supposed to? And sort of the mob mentality is running amok in our culture because we feel, we feel empowered by the stones in our hand to throw them and do something about the hate that we have for whoever the other is. And so they are asking Jesus this question, are you going to hate this person with the appropriate amount of hate? And Jesus poses a question ever so carefully. And he says, and he says, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. If you're without sin, then go ahead and, and throw the stone. And this question begins a path of introspection. It's interesting to me that it's the oldest who leave first, as if they have reached a sort of maturity and understanding and realizing the ongoing battle of struggle of sin that's continued in their life. But this question, this question is, 
Jesus inviting us to see how we are also complicit in the problems of the world. It is so easy to feel good about the stone in our hand and to share a hate for something. It's easy to hate the Patriots. It's easy to hate the White Sox, right? I have good company of Cubs fans. We can all unite in this. It's easy to hate something that the mob says it's okay to hate. And Jesus asks a question. Are you complicit? Are you a part of the problem? And we don't like asking that question. We don't like introspection. We like action. But introspection is what Jesus invites the mob to, and it's what he invites us to. How am I a part of what's wrong in the world? How have I sinned? How have I hurt others? How have I hurt God? There's a question uh, that's asked in the book of Revelation. I know that makes everybody nervous, but there's a really great chapter in the, in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 5. And at the beginning of it, there, the question is, there's this scroll as being presented. And there is this question asked from an angel in heaven that says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And there is no one who is found worthy. And John, as he is interacting in this vision, he begins to weep. He's crying out to God, or he's crying out saying, who is worthy? And then this message comes and says, you, you don't need to weep anymore. Wipe away your tears. See, look, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And so John, he turns and he looks, and it's not a lion, it's a lamb who appears to have been slaughtered. And what we are told in the rest of that chapter is that the lamb is worthy, worthy is the lamb who has been slain, and that he is redeemed, and that he is saved, and that he is worthy to bring about God's plan, that he is worthy to restore and to help and to heal. I think Jesus is asking the same sort of question that the angel is asking, who is worthy to open the scroll, is this question about who is holy, who is righteous, who is the one who can make the world right. When Jesus asks, how are you complicit? He is also showing himself as the one willing to forgive. The one with the power to restore, to renew, to recreate, to forgive us, to unite us. And so as I look... As I look at this text and I let it work on my heart, I know that only Jesus is worthy to set the world right. And that the rest of the story of the Bible is about how Jesus is going to start making things right. And he's going to start making things right for this woman right there before him. One by one, they put their stones down and they all leave. And Jesus says, is there anybody left? There's no one left here to condemn me. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And imagine what those words meant to her. And now I really want you to hear what they might mean to you. That Jesus doesn't condemn you either. Jesus doesn't condemn you. God's justice is rolled out. And forgiveness 
And it has echoed from that moment on that neither Jesus condemns us. Now we, we, listen, uh, we listen to that and we, we can kind of wonder, does he still really mean it? And as I look at the rest of the Bible, there is great evidence that Jesus is in the business of forgiveness. And it's not just this story, but it's one right after the other. God going through painstaking efforts to restore and to reconcile us back to him. There's a great story in the Gospel of Luke. It's in chapter 7. Jesus' own over for a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. And they're having, a, uh, they're having a meal together. And a woman finds out who was a sinner, the Bible tells us. And she comes and she goes behind Jesus and she begins weeping in tears. And she starts wiping his feet. And she pours oil on him. And she pours out love for Jesus. And Simon, he looks at what's going on and he says, Jesus, if you were a prophet you would know that this is a sinful person and you wouldn't have anything to do with them. And Jesus says, well, hey, let me tell you a story. There's two men who owed a great debt. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And the one that they owed it, the money to, forgave them of the debt. And he says, who do you suppose loved him more? And Simon says, well, the one that was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus, he communicates to him, he's like, this woman has been forgiven so much and she loves me so much. It is my conviction from this text in Luke 7 that the journey of a Christian is growing in the knowledge of just how much Jesus has forgiven us. That the more aware of, my, uh, of the forgiveness that God has extended me, the greater my love for Jesus. This only comes through introspection. It only comes through the careful analysis of realizing that I have fallen short, that I have hurt people, that I have fallen short of God's glory and his standards. Pride and arrogance hurtful comments, bigotry, that I'm a part of the problem. But Jesus, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And so there is grace and there is mercy and there is hope and there is love for every person who would go before God and say, I will lay down my stone and will you start working on the stone of my heart? And will you break away the chunks of things in my life that have taken me from you, that have hurt others, that have been a part of the problem? God, would you forgive me? When we read this text, we are tempted to think that Jesus is tolerant of all of our sin. Now, word tolerant gets thrown around quite a bit. And I would say that Jesus is not very tolerant of sin because the closing of this passage, Jesus says, now go and sin no more. Friends, we are invited to stop sinning as well. To stop sinning and take our sin seriously. 
And so we seek God for forgiveness, but we also seek him for new life and a new way. I invite you to see for the closing, just one last thing. What Jesus does with the other. The mob brings an other before Jesus. And they bring their stones and they bring their hate. And Jesus brings forgiveness and love. Jesus invites us to see that his way is about loving others. Jesus invites us to see that the enemy is someone that we hold something all too in common with. That we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. Jesus does something about sin. He cares so deeply about sin that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And even though while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus teaches us very simply a new command. How do we treat the other? He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And the rest of the New Testament is this encouragement to love others. And here's how it challenges us to do that. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth and love to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir one another up to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Pray for one another. Confess, confess your faults to one another. If we will continue the mission of God as a church, it does not rise and fall on our gathering together. If we are going to keep the mission of God going as a community, as a community of believers here in Etna Green, it will be done by our love for God and our love for one another. So go and be kind and bear with and build up and accept and encourage, love and pray for one another. How do we keep the mission going? Well, it's all about how we will treat the other. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your protection for this day. We pray for the many who are hurting in our church family. And we pray for your help and your healing love and your grace, for your favor, for your kindness and your healing and your love. God, we need you. 
and may this hardship and may this struggle lead us to you that we might be ever closer to you aware of you and what you're doing help us your children you are a good father to us we trust you and we love you please go with us and go before us reminding us of your faithful presence comfort us your children your people forgive us lord for the anger for the hurt for all the times that we feel like we just need to pick up stones remind us god to lay them down and give you our hearts and god whatever's on the other side remind us that they need that they need you too and that you have forgiven us and you have told us in your word that if we are in your son jesus christ we are a new creation that the old is gone and the new has come and that we are your ministers of reconciliation so help us to go and forgive one another love one another be patient with one another and kind lead us your church we need you lord it's in jesus name amen may god bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you and give you his rest have a wonderful day happy father's day and have a awesome day take care